Have you ever had some circumstances in your life? See if I can get that going. We're kind of switching computers back there, so <clears throat> we're going through some different maneuvers. Have you ever had some circumstances or a particular life experience that it hit you so hard that it even made you question God's love for you? Or, in some cases, maybe even made you or someone you know question God's existence? Now, I've heard of a number of people, and maybe you have also, who turned away from God, turned away from the church, turned away from the Bible because of some event in their life that just really shook their world. They just couldn't put it together along with their Christian faith. Now, it may have been some unfortunate thing that they experienced in their church, why they left their church. Could be someone in a Christian home who watched their parents split up and were mistreated in their home, and so they couldn't put that together with a loving God. Could be someone who was betrayed by their spouse, or someone who prayed and prayed for the healing of a sick loved one, but that loved one ended up dying. Someone experiencing a horrific storm that took everything that they had, some family, or it could be someone thinking, how could a loving God allow this precious child to be paralyzed? Or how could a loving God allow all this evil that we see in our world? Or even the terrible mistreatment of persecuted Christians. And they think, can we really trust what we read in the Bible when we see so much wrong going on and we say that God is good and he controls all things, and we see such hurt and unfairness. And then there are some who not only walk away from the church or belief in God and the Bible, but then some will go on to become even prominent teachers against God and the Bible. And they'll write books, and they'll speak at universities, and they'll try to promote this belief that I used to believe in God, I don't anymore. What do you say to something like that? Or what do you say to someone who wants to follow somebody that's presenting that message? You know, some of those angry unbelievers have pretty impressive degrees behind their names. But I want to point out four verses this morning that I believe will help us greatly to think through this matter of when we see something out there and it doesn't seem to fit our view of God. Now, you know, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks. And the important thing to keep in mind, you always want to <clears throat> have the right context when you're trying to interpret scriptures or anything else. But the important thing to keep in mind as we look into the Sermon on the Mount is that these teachings of Jesus that he's given to these people that are following him are values or principles 
concerning the kingdom of God as over against the principles concerning the kingdom of man or mankind. Principles of the kingdom of heaven as contrasted to principles of the kingdom of earth, kingdoms of the earth. And that distinction will place these teachings into their proper setting, which will make it easier to comprehend if you have the right setting. Context is the main ingredient to clear up confusion when you're reading through something, thinking through something. If something happens in one land, <clears throat> if something happens in Honduras, it's much different than it happened in, in, in America, right? You have to know the context. But in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 17 through 20, Jesus talks about how he sees the law of Moses in the Old Testament. The Pharisees are claiming that he does not respect the scriptures, the law of Moses, and they claim that he is teaching that they are no longer valid. So I want you to look, beginning with Matthew chapter 5, in verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, and that includes the whole Old Testament, the, the law, the writings, and the prophets, because the prophets were ones who wrote some of those history books. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, he means throughout this whole age, this present age, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now that's quite a bit different than walking away from the Bible because you can't understand something. Do those verses clear up how Jesus thinks about the scriptures or about his relationship to the scriptures? You know, they're saying that he's trying to abolish them and he's saying, I'm here to fulfill them. Now, you know, a few minutes ago I was talking about how different people in our day have chosen to walk away from the Bible and walk away from the church and we even walk away from God because of some bad experience. Some even say, they don't believe in God anymore. There can't be a God. Well, we want to look at what's happening here. You know, when the <clears throat> religious leaders are accusing Jesus of trying to abolish the law. The religious leaders of Jesus' day are claiming that he is trying to do away with the law of Moses. But much of that complaint isn't because Jesus is going against the law of Moses. It's because he's ignoring some of the traditions of the Jews that they used to work out the law of Moses. He wasn't doing everything the way they did it. Like the specific ways they adopted to keep the Sabbath holy. Like the way that they would wash their hands ritually washing the cups, the utensils, everything that they did, they did it a very certain way. And they even had ways how far you could travel on the Sabbath without turning it into work. And they even did things 
Well, you remember when Jesus and his disciples were walking through this field of grain, stalks, grain stalks, and they were hungry, and they grabbed some stalks, and they took them, and they would just rub the grain to, to separate it from the, the, the cone or whatever it is. And then they would eat it, and they said, how come your disciples don't follow the Sabbath rules? How come they don't follow the tradition of the elders? And they said that rubbing that, that grain was work. That was working on the Sabbath. And so that's the kind of things that they would accuse Jesus of not following the law. And you know, Jesus healed a man's crippled hand or a woman's crippled hand on the Sabbath in the temple. And they said that was unlawful. That was working on the Sabbath, even though he said, well, when you have an ox that falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, you will get that ox out of there. Can't I help this woman? And you know, it takes a lot more work to get an ox out of a ditch than Jesus did to heal that hand. So you see, Jesus wasn't breaking the law of Moses as they were accusing him of doing. He just wasn't buying into their, you know, minutiae of how to keep the Sabbath and their fake holiness that they would put forth. You see, a lot of the Pharisees' practices, they would take everything and put it into a formula, and that way they could control people, or they could watch to see who wasn't keeping their laws. And that put them on top and put everybody else underneath them. And they could call people sinners if they didn't do things a certain way. And we saw it in the, in the uh, situation of Jesus, didn't we? But Jesus followed the spirit of the law. He followed the law in spirit and in truth. Jesus did the law out of a heart love for God. He fleshed out the law of God and he expressed its true meaning. When Jesus walked, he walked as the law because he loved God with all of his heart. But that didn't satisfy the religious leaders because when he did that, that challenged their authority. They couldn't keep track of him. They couldn't keep their rule over him. And they were fighting him all the way through. So Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law of Moses, but to fulfill it, to live out its true meaning. And then in 18 again, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, is that a strong view of the scriptures or what? He says every little bit will come true. He's talking about the smallest letter in the Greek language and the smallest mark in the Hebrew language. Now, people today will walk away from the Bible and walk away from church and Christianity because of some bad experience, like I was saying. Some disappointment. Some mistreatment. Something they can't explain or reconcile with their knowledge of God <clears throat> as ruler and as good and as powerful and what they see happening around them. Yeah, but just think of that. 
You know, you see somebody die that shouldn't die. You see somebody mistreated that shouldn't be mistreated. You see people, you know, advancing that shouldn't be advancing because they, they don't believe in righteousness. But yet think of this. Here is Jesus, the very Son of God, come to earth from God, deserving of all praise, honor, and respect. And these religious leaders are bashing him. They are totally disrespecting him. They are judging him. They deny him. They reject him. They say he is a sinner. And then they will plot to kill him. And eventually they will kill him, right? Yet, he doesn't walk away from God or quit believing in the Bible, does he? I mean, he's treated worse than any of us or anybody. And yet, his view of the Bible is that every single piece will come true. Even though he, as the very Son of God, is being horribly mistreated. Yet he says, not the least stroke of the pen will disappear from the law until all of it is accomplished. Now, what does that say about Jesus' view of the scriptures? <clears throat> and you know, when we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus continually referring to the scriptures as something he can totally trust. Something we can totally trust. You know, <clears throat> John the Baptist preached about Jesus coming and the Messiah coming and winnowing and threshing out the wheat like judgment, things going into the fire. And Jesus comes, and he's just this meek and mild, you know, teacher, and John the Baptist is in jail. And John the Baptist was thinking, hey, what happened? So it didn't work out the way he was thinking. So he sent two disciples, most of you remember this, he sent two disciples to Jesus, and they said, John the Baptist sent us, and we're supposed to ask you, are you the Messiah, or is there somebody else coming? Because they're not seeing the things John was saying, some of the things. And Jesus said, <clears throat> go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, people are healed, the dead are raised, and, you know, a lot of people think, well, he's just telling these disciples, to sh don't go tell them that I can do miracles. But it's a little more nuanced than that. What he was saying as he said all those things were quotes from the Old Testament. He's saying, go back and show them how I am fulfilling the Old Testament. And that makes it a lot more meaningful, actually. And then when Jesus was in the garden, garden of Gethsemane that night, <clears throat> and Peter struck the ear of that guard, of that servant, of uh, the high priest, and Jesus said, no, we can't do it this way because, because of the scriptures. The scriptures say this must happen. And then when they come at him with clubs and swords, he says, 
Why are you coming at me with clubs and swords? I taught every day in the temple, and nobody you know, accosted me or arrested me. And then he said, but so that scripture may be fulfilled. This is the way it has to happen. So Jesus, all the way through, was talking about how the scripture must be fulfilled, even when it was so horrible for him. So what is the result of seeing how Jesus held the scriptures so highly? Like, what does Jesus' extremely high view of the scriptures mean for us today? What does it mean for those who want to turn away from God because of some tragedy or disappointment or mistreatment? Well, look at verse 19. He says, therefore, because of, you know, the scripture being so trustworthy, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these, one of the least of these commands, like the smallest of the commands, and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And remember, these principles from the Sermon on the Mount are kingdom of heaven values contrasted to the kingdom of man values. In God's kingdom values, anyone who does not highly respect God's commands or God's teachings from his word, they have no standing in the kingdom of heaven. Now that person, that same person who has no standing in the kingdom of heaven, they may be very high ranking in the kingdoms of the earth. They may be celebrated throughout the whole earth as someone very special. They may have countless servants doing their biddings. They may be one of the wealthiest people on the planet. They may have presidents, prime ministers, and kings asking for their advice. They may be able to speak a word and have the stock markets crash. They may be able to start fashion trends just by stepping outside of their mansion. But if they don't accept God's word for what it is, the true word of God that will be fulfilled, well, their fame and their prominence is very short-lived. It will end at the end of this age, if not before. And then look what Jesus says in the second half of this. Or the last last part says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, whoever exalts the scriptures, whoever places high value on God's word, whoever is very careful to live by them and promote them, they rank high in the kingdom of heaven. They are called great in the kingdom of heaven. Even down here when we're doing it, the kingdom of heaven recognizes that person as a great person. You know, respecting the scriptures may not bring you earthly accolades, or they may, but in the kingdom of heaven, they will give you a high ranking. 
And we all know that this earthly existence, it seems long to us, right? But it's really short, isn't it? In the, in the realm of all things, in the realm of eternity. This is just for a season. Our top concern should be where we will spend eternity. These are the values we want to live by. They are the principles we want to promote and lead people to because we want to store our riches in heaven where we're going to be for eternity. And that comes from a deep respect and love for the scriptures, a willingness to live according to scriptural values. One man a long time ago, at least I heard him say this a long time ago, People would ask Jesus something, he would quote the scriptures. He did that a lot. And then he said, you know, anything Jesus said would be scripture. But yet he quoted the scriptures. He studied the scriptures and quoted the scriptures. And that's how much trust he put in them and how much he valued them. And now Jesus puts this into their present circumstances. Our last verse. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he's talking about those who are promoted on earth and those who are are not. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What a slam that was. You know, those religious leaders, they held all the power, all the societal power in that religious society. And they kind of, you know, they had all their fancy robes and hair pieces and all that kind of stuff, kind of like strutting around like a peacock showing off their beautiful tail. But Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven... He says, your righteousness must exceed the religious leader's righteousness. But you know, by outward looks, the kingdom of earth standards, the religious leaders were the -the over-the-top righteous. The way they presented themselves, the things they did in public, the way that they looked down on others, they were the standard of holiness in the kingdom of man. But Jesus is measuring by a completely different standard, isn't he? He's measuring by the kingdom of heaven standard. Very, very different from earthly standards. So what should be our main concern here in order for us not to get caught up into earthly or judging by earthly standards? How do we avoid the Pharisee trap? Well, here's a major takeaway. The Pharisees took the word of God and manipulated it to their own means, their own ends. And they did that to exalt themselves. They took the word of God and they reworked it so they could strut around as holy men and condemn others who wouldn't fall under their rule. They made these tiny little rules up, how far you could walk on the Sabbath and all of those things, 
just so they could watch and say who was sinful and who didn't follow them. And to show you how far off they were from the truth, even though they spent their lives, you know, talking about laws and rules and holiness and that sort of thing, but to show you how far off they were from the truth, their standard of ruling condemned the very Son of God himself as a deceiver and as a phony. God himself became, in their way of thinking, a deceiver and a phony. And it was because of the wickedness of their hearts. That's where it all starts, isn't it? It's what's in our hearts. And so we have to examine our hearts in this. Meaning we have to check our motives carefully. Why am I making this choice that I'm making? Which kingdom am, am I choosing my values from? Is it God's kingdom or man's kingdom? And you know, as we check our hearts and motives, <clears throat> we need to have a deep, serious respect for the Bible. Because Jesus held the scriptures as his precious treasure. And so we have to read them and look at them honestly and avoid the trap of manipulating them in order to justify wrong thinking or wrong action. We want to make the scriptures a part of who we are and the main part of, who, of what we do and how we live. We want the, the, the scriptures to transform our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions and our choices and our friendships, our marriages, our homes, our conversations, all of it being influenced by the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying that we have to find a verse for everything that we utter. But by being in the word regularly, we can have God's word affecting us. Because when we put God's word into our minds, the Holy Spirit takes that and gives us understanding and gives us encouragement and gives us motivation to act according to the word of God. Pushing us toward kingdom of God thinking. Thinking on a whole different level. That will help us not to go out and make bad choices. You know, these days, as we see so much going on in our nation, it just seems that when somebody turns away from God, they can't reason anymore. The stupidest things they call smart. And, you know, you look at them and you think, how could anybody even think like that? But if the scriptures are influencing us, they will keep us out of a lot of trouble. And they will keep us thinking on a kingdom mindset. And they will help us to help other people. And then when we do that, we can experience that peace that passes all understanding. And then when hard times come, when someone treats us badly, when our circumstances go south, when disappointments arise, which of course they will and they do, don't they? We won't think of walking away from God. We won't get bitter in our hearts toward God. 
We won't go out and make rash decisions that will bring harm and regret or even have an attitude of vengeance. So, in the words of Jesus, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is such a special treasure. And just from our human thinking, we can't so much appreciate that, perhaps. But we know that Jesus really appreciated it from his divine thinking and his heart that was totally given over to you. So may we have that same view of the scriptures as Jesus did. And may it influence our minds, our thinking, our actions, and the way we treat one another. We thank you for all you do and how much you've given us in your word and in your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.